My name is Kent. I'm one of the staff here, and um, I've been gone for a couple weeks. I miss you all. I miss our worship people. I miss worshiping with you all, people. Thank you so much for letting me come back. It's great to be back here. I haven't been on vacation. I've been at the General Synod meeting, so we have annual meeting every year. of Leaders from all over North America gather together, and the, the basic impression of the meetings is they're long and tedious. But the good news is this. Somebody shared this one tidbit, and, and this was the highlight for me. God loves his church more than we do. Isn't that good news? So God is taking care of his church, and it's going to continue to grow. And we're told in Scripture that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we know that the church is going to survive all of its various turmoils. So I did pick up a couple of interesting tidbits. I got to go worship with a friend of mine last week, and these meetings were in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And he lived in Allendale, so I just hopped over to Allendale and got to go worship with him in his church. And I picked up a really... uh, learned something really great from there. Their preacher preached for 55 minutes. Good idea? All right, we'll see how far I get with that. Okay, we're still in the book of Acts. You've been in the capable hands for the last couple weeks of uh, Alan and Jeremy as they've helped us continue through the book of Acts. So we're all the way up to chapter 10 now. So I'd like to invite you to get a Bible and open it up and turn to chapter 10. If you don't have your own Bible, there's one in the chair or you can open up your phone or your device to an electronic Bible, that'd be great. In the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, chapter 10. We've been following how the Spirit of God works to take His people and build a community and what that community looks like, thinking that if we can figure out how this original community was shaped and formed, it might give us some idea about how God wants to form us as a community and the kind of mission that God wants to give to us. So Acts chapter 10 introduces a character named Cornelius, who is a uh, a religious man, but he's not a believer at the beginning of the story. He's not Jewish, and he's he's not a Christian, but he's curious. And uh, Peter gets led by the Spirit to go preach another sermon, and particularly to Cornelius and his household. And this is what we have kind of wrapping up here at the end of chapter 10. I'm going to start reading with verse 34, Acts 10, 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the providence of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles. 
for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. One question to get us started this morning. Have you ever had a time when you were excluded from a group or felt excluded from a group that you wanted to belong to? Ever feel that way? I want you to turn to your neighbor and share a little bit about this experience, a time when you felt excluded or were excluded from a group. Go ahead and talk about that for just a second. And if someone's sitting by themselves, you better go include them in your conversation. We don't want them to feel excluded from this. Okay, we actually sent this question around on our little quick question app, and 91% of the people who responded said that they felt excluded sometime. 9% said they did not feel excluded. So we're pretty sure those 9% misunderstood the question or they were lying about it. Do we have a picture of what this looks like when you feel excluded? Ever feel like that? Yeah. It's a pretty common experience. Um, When I was starting to think about this, I could think about a time when I was in sixth grade and I decided I was going to try out for the basketball team. And uh, the coach was called uh, Coach Savage. And I'm not making this up. It's actually his name was Bob Savage. He was a famous coach in the Des Moines area, and he happened to be at our junior high school at that time and was doing the basketball team. And after the tryouts, I thought I I did really well. And even though I was vertically challenged, even then, I thought I could contribute something to the team. So I come into the gym the next day with high expectations, and the team is listed on the board, on the bulletin board. There's a list of all the people. And the way Coach Savage did this was the ones who were in were on the list, and if you weren't included, you weren't even on the list. You just were left out. And uh, he wasn't really known for sensitivity. Actually, what he did was he actually listed them in order of their performance. So the most skilled athletes were listed at the top, and the least skilled athletes were at the bottom. So I'm looking around the bottom of this list trying to see if my name is going to be on there, and it wasn't. I was excluded, um, left out. We actually had a name for the list, cut. It was the cut list. So you know if your name wasn't on the list, you were cut from the team. They didn't want you around, okay? Now, getting excluded from anything feels bad. You feel terrible. You feel maybe a sense of abandonment. Maybe you question your worth or your value. You just have this diminishing sense of self because you feel like you're not wanted, that you you don't belong there. Um, When we think about being left out or being excluded, you might be interested to know that there's some research that shows that we figure out how to do this at a very young age. Actually, when you're newborn and you first recognize somebody's face or recognize that somebody's smiling at you or recognizing that you're being held by someone, it's the first time that you begin to figure out if you're in or you're out. And this little skill develops until you're about five or six and you start this Uh, habit of figuring out who's your friend. And in order to have a friend, you have to have a not 
friend. And the research indicates that the same skill that's required in order for us to feel like we belong actually develops so that we figure out when we don't belong also. So this happens at a very young age, and um, you, we start to get a feeling of what it's like to be on the outside looking in. And this experience that we have, even as very young children, then begins to like influence our adulthood. You might think, yeah, when you get older, you get over this, right? You're, you know, we're wiser and kinder and we're more inclusive when we get older, right? But actually, the being in and being out is something that continues to plague us even into adulthood. And so I got to wondering about this. I got to wondering about the question of, does our feeling excluded contribute to our understanding of God? Does it lead to us wondering about whether God excludes us or not? And if we've been excluded a lot, do we begin to suspect that God maybe is going to exclude us as well? And this is the question that was kind of bugging me while I was looking at this passage in Acts 10, 11, 12, 13. Is God the kind of God that would exclude me because I don't measure up, because I'm not good enough, because I'm not tall enough, because I'm out? Does God have a cut list? So that's what I want you to think about while we look at this little passage. Before we dig deeply into chapter 10 to 15, I want to give you just a little bit of a uh, summary. So what we've discovered so far in the book of Acts is this. At the beginning, Jesus is with his disciples, and then he is ascended into heaven. Before he leaves, he promises to send the Holy Spirit, which he does send. And when the Spirit comes, his promise that the disciples will become witnesses comes true, and they become witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And now through the rest of the book of Acts, this witness is expanding out. We see that one of the things that helped this witness expand was the persecution, the kind of persecution that Stephen experienced when he stood up for the gospel, and as a result of that, he was stoned. And others demonstrated great hostility toward the early church, and so they began to spread out. Now, after they began to spread out, we recognize that the gospel was sent with them so that they discovered in every place that they went that there were people who wanted to hear the gospel, people who needed to hear the gospel, and they shared the gospel with them, and which brings us up to chapter 10 of Acts. And this man named Cornelius, who was a religious man but not a believer, becomes curious because he's heard this gospel. He's heard about Jesus, and he wants to know a little bit more. So he's exploring what this might mean for him. About the same time he's exploring that, the Holy Spirit comes upon Peter and says to Peter, go preach to Cornelius. And so Peter goes and he preaches to Cornelius, and the first part of chapter 10 is this interaction or this introduction to Cornelius and this sermon and the words that we just read when Peter gets wound up and starts preaching to them. And I just want to remind you of what happens at the conclusion of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So Peter said then, Surely no one's going to stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And Cornelius and his household and all those Gentiles who were part of his community were brought into the community that day. They came to faith as demonstrated by the power of the Holy Spirit in response to the gospel. So this is like really great news. This actually begins to transform the community of disciples. The church is changed from this point forward. Because you see, up until this point, the church has been largely 
a Jewish thing. It was Jewish leaders who were preaching to Jewish communities from the Jewish scriptures about this man who was Jewish and who was a fulfillment of the promises of God to the Jewish nation. This was the the core of it. And even though there were some non-Jewish people who heard this message and who came to this message before this, they were the exception and they were kind of brought into the Jewish community. They were converts to Judaism. With Cornelius, this changes. And this is a really big deal. With Cornelius, the message of the gospel goes to a community that's not Jewish. They're Gentile. And it's such an exciting thing that Peter, when he sees this, says, hey, surely no one can stand up against this, and so we should just baptize these people with water right now because the Spirit has come upon them. And Peter baptizes them, and people stand against it. The people in the Jewish community are livid because they're opposed to this. They don't want these Gentiles to be part of their community. They want them cut. They want them excluded. Well, now the story takes an interesting twist. Because from this moment in Acts chapter 10, we see that the gospel goes out with great intensity to a whole bunch of different communities, Jewish and non-Jewish. And we actually, the next thing that's described in chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, is what becomes known as Paul's first missionary journey. Paul, empowered by the Holy Spirit, goes out to start to preach the gospel to anyone who will listen to him. And I got a little map here that shows um, that journey and how it looks. Maybe you can't see all the pinpoints on there, but basically the journey starts in Antioch. And I think Alan mentioned this last week. Antioch was the first community where people were actually called Christian. They were little Christ. They were recognized there in Antioch. And um, Paul is nearby in Tarshish, but Barnabas is in Antioch. And he goes there to check on the news that this gospel has been spreading, that the church has been growing. And Barnabas goes there to Antioch and he discovers that it's exactly as he's heard, that it's true, the church is growing and the news is spreading. And so he goes and he fetches Paul from Tarsus and they begin uh, to listen to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit starts to prompt them that they're supposed to go on a mission to share the gospel with all these people who will listen to them. And something interesting happens as this community is shaped, and you'll read this also in these chapters, there's a prophet by the name of Agabus who predicted that there was going to be a great famine. And he told this to the people who were around the community and the Christian community in Antioch. And they actually demonstrated this character of generosity that we've seen throughout the book of Acts. And they take up a collection to try to like support the poor Jewish Christians who are in Jerusalem who are going through this difficult time. So their generosity is expanded. Meanwhile, John Mark comes, and so we've got Barnabas, Paul, and John Mark, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and says, you need to go preach the gospel. And they take off. And the first place they go is they go to Seleucia, which is on the coast. And as they're going there, they preach the gospel. And then they get in a boat and they sail to Salamis on the island of Cyprus, where they preach the gospel from one end of Cyprus to the other. And then they get to Paphos and preach the gospel there. Then they set sail to Perga, which is in the region of Pamphylia in Asia Minor, kind of in the south central area there. Then they go to Pisidian Antioch, then to Iconium in Galatia, then to nearby Lystra and Derby, each time they're preaching the gospel. Each time they establish a little community of believers and the word is spread. Then they backtrack, going back through each of these communities that they visited and encouraging the church and strengthening it and establishing elders and pastors and leaders in these churches to see that the 
churches established until they end up back in Antioch. Now, I just gave you the whirlwind tour of Paul's first missionary journey in Acts 10 to 14. And since you do not really want me to preach for 55 minutes, I'm going to say you should go home and read those chapters and get all the details of what happens there. It's fascinating. One thing you'll see is that the Holy Spirit comes upon these leaders as they preach the gospel and the church grows. A couple verses that you could maybe use to summarize the whole thing. Acts 12, 24. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. When the gospel goes forward, it brings flourishing. And then Acts 14, 21. They preached the gospel and made many disciples. So when the gospel goes out, disciples are made. It shapes individuals. The gospel goes with the power of the Holy Spirit and the church grows and the gospel seems to know no limit because the gospel is preached to everyone. No exclusions. No cut list. Everybody is welcome to hear the gospel and everyone is welcome to respond to it. This is the pattern that's established in these chapters. It's very clear. Acts 14 ends with this really great news, a report of what happened On arriving back in Antioch, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. This is a change. This is a big deal. No longer is the gospel confined to a Jewish community of Jewish people who were converted. Now the gospel has been expanded to everyone who will listen, starting with Cornelius and expanding all the way through Asia Minor. When God works by the power of his Holy Spirit, there's growth. When God works by the power of his Holy Spirit, there's another thing that often, maybe almost always comes with it, and it's contention, conflict. When the gospel goes out, there's conflict. And this shouldn't surprise us. The Bible talks a lot about this, and Paul actually develops this a little bit later in the book of Ephesians, and he describes the, what's behind the curtains, what's happening, why is this conflict present. In Ephesians 6, we're told this, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's the spiritual battle that comes with the gospel. When we preach the good news, there's an enemy that wants to undermine the good news, who wants to destroy it. Actually, the enemy of our souls would like to undo and destroy every good thing and works very hard to accomplish that so that when the gospel goes forward to accomplish good, the enemy works to destroy the good. This is the battle that we're in. Our battle is not with brothers and sisters, with other men and women. Our battle is against this enemy. This contention or this conflict can take lots of different forms, persecution and hardship and uh, even martyrdom. Those disciples who went out to preach the gospel, we see that most of them end up actually giving their lives because of this conflict that's going on. In this little section, the contention is described a little bit differently. I'd I'd like you to go back to Acts 11, verse 2. Here's the contention that they face. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. This was the contention he faced because there were a number of Jewish believers who did not want to include the Gentiles. And so when Peter came and said, look, why shouldn't they be baptized? 
And when Paul comes and preaches the gospel to all people, they say, why are you doing this? They're out. We are in. They should be excluded. This is the kind of contention that they face. Which maybe shouldn't be surprising, really, because we learn to exclude people at a pretty young age, don't we? We learn who's in and who's out. We learn like who we are most comfortable being around, and we like to stay around those people. And we know who we don't want to be around. We're not comfortable with them, and so we exclude them. We learn that at a pretty young age. Researchers say maybe as young as five or six. And then we continue that habit throughout our lifetime. So maybe it shouldn't surprise us. But on the other hand, it does kind of surprise me, especially coming from God's people. Because God's people have been given this vision really from the beginning of time that they were established and blessed so that they could be a blessing to all people. That God's people were blessed so that they could bless all nations. This is very clear in God's plan throughout Scripture. That He blesses us so that we can be a blessing to the nations. The conflict comes to a head in Acts chapter 15 where the church does what it does whenever there's a big conflict. They have a committee meeting. So what they do in Acts chapter 15 is they they convene this council and they discuss the question, should the Gentiles be included or should the Gentiles be excluded? Is there room for them or not? And I'm sure there's a whole bunch of this text from this meeting that's missing, but what we have there gives us a little summary. And when they get to the end of it, you know what they decide? The gospel doesn't exclude anyone. The Gentiles are welcome. And they begin from that day forward painting a picture of a church that looks very different than it would have looked if it had remained Jewish. They begin to paint a picture of a church that can include everyone. And then they begin to describe the blessings that start to come from that. There's all kinds of blessings that come from this. One of the interesting phrases that comes out of the book of Acts, the first time I noticed it was in chapter 13, was they said, almost the entire city gathered to hear them preach. Wow, that's an amazing blessing. They were preaching such an interesting message, uh, such a message of welcome and inclusion, that the whole city would gather there to hear them. They wanted to hear this. This is different. The immediate reaction to the council's decision in Acts 15 was they rejoiced and were encouraged. So this was good news for the people. They're like, this brings joy. We're so happy to hear that God is building a kingdom that can include anyone, that leaves no one out. We read in the book of Acts that the word of God went forward and it grew and it multiplied. So God in his mission to build his kingdom constantly grows. We heard that they preached the gospel and they made many disciples so that the church was expanding. We heard that the word of God spread and flourished. We heard that they met together daily and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We read about them meeting together with glad hearts. We meet, we hear about their generosity having an impact so that no one had a need. These are the kind of blessings that are described in this church that builds a community that is welcoming where no one is excluded where everyone can come in. And I find the ultimate picture of this actually toward the end of Scripture where we have a picture of what the kingdom of God is going to look like one day. This is one of the most beautiful pictures in all of Scripture, Revelation chapter 7. This is John's vision of the kingdom of all people being welcomed in. 
And John looked up and he saw the throne and there was a great multitude that no one could count. And they were from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language. And they were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God. And all the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the living creatures and they all fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And this is possible because the gospel does not exclude. I have a picture that came to my mind when I was thinking about what that looked like. Maybe this needs a little explanation. Okay. Sometimes we feel like an odd duck. Sometimes we make other people feel like they're an odd duck. But the gospel says all ducks are welcome. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people. So I'm wondering what you would like to do about this. If God can reach anyone, then who would you like to see God reach? If the gospel blessings can come to any community, then what kind of gospel blessings would you like to see come to our community and our neighborhoods or our families? Maybe another way to ask this question is, who do you think God wants to reach through you or who do you think God wants you to bless? And I got another little missionary map to show you. This is Cedar Rapids and all the surrounding areas. I don't know where your missionary journeys are going to take you specifically. They maybe take you right around your neighborhood, right around this neighborhood, but they may take you all over eastern Iowa or all over the country for that matter. Where do you think God wants you to bless the world? by bringing the gospel. Okay, so we've been experimenting with having little conversations about the sermon together before we leave, and I'd like to try that again today. So I want you to get together in little groups of four, five, six people maybe, and I'd like you to ask the question and talk about what is one gospel blessing that you'd like to see in your neighborhood? One gospel blessing that you'd like to see in your neighborhood, in your community, and the people that you care about, okay? So go ahead and get up, and this time I'm going to ask you even to move around a little bit so everybody can get into a group. Four, five, six people, and just share briefly a gospel blessing that you think God wants to bring into your neighborhood, into your community, into your life.
Okay, good job. You guys are doing a good job talking. I'm never quite sure what you're talking about and when it shifts from talking about the sermon to talking about lunch plans, but good job. I've been actually getting some reaction to having these little talking times in the sermon, and you can keep giving me the reactions. They kind of vary from this. On the one hand, people say, we don't have enough time, we need more time to talk, to on the other hand, people saying, we hate it, don't do it again. So I don't know where you're at on that spectrum, but we're trying to figure out how we can take what we learn in here and actually make it into a Monday through Saturday experience so that what we learn in here is actually training us to be disciples the rest of the week. And that's what we're trying to figure out, how to continue to grow in that area. So that's why we're doing it. Please keep giving us feedback on that. But uh, I think God has called us to be disciples who share the gospel to anyone who will listen and not to exclude anyone. And in order for us to do that, we need Holy Spirit power to come upon us and guide us to that. So I'd like to pray for that right now. Let's pray together. Lord God, we come before you today, and I give you thanks. I thank you for the truth of your word. God, we know that your word is living and active and accomplishes the purposes that you desire it to accomplish. And so shape us and mold us and form us as you desire and accomplish your purposes. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit who is alive and active and working in in this place right now, guiding us as your people. And God, I thank you for these good disciples who have been listening this morning, who have been attentive and who have been open to your Spirit's leading. So God, help us as we go from this place to be a people who can gladly share the good news of the gospel, the reason for the hope that we have within us. And open up doors of opportunities and then make it clear by your spirit when we should speak and when we should listen, where we should go, where we should step in, what we should say. God, we know that you want to accomplish more. We know that you want to continue to build your kingdom of people of every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And so continue to build your kingdom. God, we pray a special prayer for those today who might have a special need, those who are coming to us hurting. They may be sick, may be lonely, may be in need of uh, physical needs. God, whatever that need is, you know each of us, you know what we come with, and we, we know that we haven't come here by accident, so we know that you can meet with each of us and touch us and shape us. Above all, God, we want to give you praise and honor and worship because you deserve it. You are the one who is worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise. We thank you for the privilege that we have to come into this place and to use our lips and our lungs to exalt you. And so we ask that what we've said and what we've done throughout this time would be pleasing to you and acceptable to you and that you'll continue the good work that you've started in us. And we'll give you thanks, God, for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.